Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I'm going to share, as I said, today and then again next week on a topic which is so incredibly important. You can leave the music up, actually, for a few minutes anyways. A topic which is so incredibly important in our lives, and I feel that its importance gets amplified during the Christian Christmas season. As we talk about worship, I, my prayer and my hope is that your personal worship intensifies as the closer we get to Christmas. That as you're thinking about the coming of Jesus, I know he is already in your heart. I know he already lives with you. But as we think about this memorial, this celebration of his coming, I pray that worship takes a front seat in your life. Okay? Uh, This is a subject that to me is close to my heart. It's played a major role in my life since childhood. Um, I was thinking about this this week. As I go back in my mind and think, um, I can't remember a time, probably before the age of 11, where I wasn't on a worship team. Only, only before 11 was I not allowed to be on the worship team. I don't think I was tall enough to reach any of the instruments. But from about the age of 11, I've been on a worship team in every church context that I've ever been a part of. I've led worship in multiple churches. When Sean and I were kids, I led worship in our youth group. Used to stand up there like a goofball, playing guitar, trying to impress girls. That was what I was doing. I learned to worship in the process, but make no mistake, it was for the ladies. Amen. That's right. Danny said, tell the truth. That's it, brother. Just stand up there, slick back my hair, and try to sing a worship song. But I've always led people in worship. It's always been a part of my, my heart and a big part of my life. So as I said, I've been real excited to actually talk about this subject for a long time. And I feel really like it's the time for it. One of the challenges in any kind of leadership is that if you're not paying attention, you come under the pressure of performance. Selah. Let me say it again for you. One of the challenges of any kind of leadership, not just worship leadership, not just doing what Leslie does and standing up and and helping everybody worship, but any kind of leadership is that if you're not paying attention, if you let your guard down, it's very easy to come under the pressure of performance where you stop doing what you're doing for the right reason and you start doing it for the people that are looking at you. You can become more aware of the pressure that is on you to lead well and if you yield to that pressure you'll start to perform and you'll lose authenticity. And I can say this from experience because I've done it many times. Like I said, I used to sing for the ladies. (laughs) Right? If we lose sight, if we come under the pressure of just trying to do things really well for the sake of impressing the people, 
then we actually start to lose the authenticity of why we were in that leadership position to begin with. And it works in every area of life, guys, not just in worship. I've done it behind the piano. I've done it behind the pulpit. I've done it in my marriage. I've done it on the job. If you start to just try to live for the people that are around you just to impress them and perform for them, it's real easy to start to slip away from the authenticity that's behind whatever God's called you to do. Why do I bring that up? Because when we think about worship, we often think about it in a corporate context, meaning a church service, not corporate as in corporations. We think of it in context. When we talk about worship, what do we often think of? We think of a song. We think of the worship team. We think of our favorite worship artist. We think of uh, whatever the set list was on Sunday. Oh, they played my favorite worship song. Worship has become uh, synonymous with slow songs, right? Praise and worship. Praise is the fast stuff. Worship is the slow stuff. It's not right, is it, Leslie? She knows this. She's smart. That's why she's the boss. That's why she's the leader, because she knows this. Worship is not fast and slow songs. It's not a genre. It's a heart posture. It's the calling of every Christian to worship God in spirit and in truth. The Bible says in John 4, the Father is seeking people to do that. Do you know that God's looking for you? Come on. God is actually actively searching the earth, looking for someone that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Very few places in the Bible where, you know, the, the Bible talks a lot about us seeking God. There's very few places in the Bible that talk about God seeking us. This is one of them. We're going to get to John 4 in a second. I'm ahead of myself. But we think about worship often in the corporate context, meaning a church service, especially in our charismatic circles, in our modern worship circles. We use phrases like shifting the atmosphere or setting the tone. Oh, the worship band's got to go out and set the tone. Oh, the worship, we need, to, we need to really crank it up this morning in worship, guys, because we got to shift the atmosphere as though God couldn't do that with the bat of an eye, as though God needs us to get his motor running for him. Mm. Worship in our mind becomes something that we have to crank up in order to get a church meeting started. And if we're good at it, we just might get God to show up. It's in that frame of mind that the line between worship and entertainment starts to get really blurry. I had a conversation with a friend of mine years ago. We were talking about worship in our respective churches. This was a long time ago. He said, what do you think about the worship that's happening in the body of Christ now? I said, well, I love it. I said, my one concern is that if we're not careful, we'll get people hooked on the production value of worship rather than the real value of worship, which is God himself. That's always been my one concern. There's not enough fog machines in the world to get God to move, guys. 
There's not enough lights and screens. You can't turn a guitar loud enough to get God to move. You can put enough lights in a room to get people's emotions stirred, but that does not bring the presence of God. What brings the presence of God is a people whose hearts are hungry for him and for his presence and for the real Jesus to come into the room. That's what people are hungry for. That's what God is hungry for. Do you realize that God wants to show up more than we want him to show up? Amen. It's right. It's exactly right. You see, as I said, there's a line between worship and entertainment that if we're not careful, we'll get blurry. God, and I've given this a lot of thought. One of the reasons I believe that that happens is that God will put his anointing and his presence on anything that exalts him. It's true. Think about it. God's power and his anointing will be placed on anything that is exalting to him. That's why people, even unsaved people, unintentionally exalt Jesus. I was at a concert one time, one of my favorite bands. They are a big Grammy Award winning band now, but there was a day that they used to be small and they used to come to Boone. And Brandon and I and some of our friends would go see them at Boone Saloon. And we were there one night and it was, you remember how many times we go see Snarky Puppy? Four or five times? What a great band. Man, they're good. But they play like jazz and funk. And so they had one time we were there, they had this lady who was opening up for them that was traveling with them. And she did probably a 30-minute set. And at the end of her set, she started to sing that song. You know it. Hallelujah. Well, I hear there was a secret chord David played and it pleased the Lord. And she started to get into the chorus and, and she tagged on the chorus for a while at the end. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You know that song. Here's what she didn't realize. Nobody in that place was worshiping, but I was. Because she unintentionally invoked the presence of God. Because the word hallelujah, whether you realize it or not in the Hebrew, is the word which means the highest praise. There's no praise higher capable of human lips than the word hallelujah. And so she, whether she realized it or not, was allowing God to put his presence on something that was exalting to him unbeknownst to her. That's why you can be in a carnal situation and somebody does something that God, that, it, that unintentionally exalts God and the presence of the Lord shows up. Here's why this is important to understand and discern within your own heart. Not, there was almost nobody in that room that was actually worshiping. So you can be in the presence of God and not be worshiping him. That's why it's possible to make worship something you have to crank up. Because if we sing songs that have the right words, the presence of God will come. But maybe nobody's actually worshiping him in the room. How many times have we been in a place where the presence of God is sweet, but something distracting comes along? We want our worship to be big and to be powerful. Don't 
please don't hear me saying something that I'm not. I'm not dogging the modern worship movement. If it wasn't for Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation and all these places, we wouldn't have any songs to sing. Okay, so I'm not saying, you know, throw your Bethel albums out. I'm not saying that at all. Not even close. What I am saying is that in, in whatever context we find ourselves, let us make our worship the, the most authentic thing that it can possibly be. I get it. We want our worship to be big and powerful and loud and exciting. Josh Honeycutt wants to have worship with a mosh pit and, and like heavy metal. We've been talking about it. Screamo worship. Guys, it'll touch somebody. Trust me. It'll touch somebody. Might not touch you, but give somebody the warm fuzzies. I'll tell you what. We want our worship to be big and powerful and expressive and explosive when we're together, and that's good. So I'm not talking about dumbing down worship in the church. But it shouldn't be the only big worship moment in your, in your week. I was talking to the Lord about this this week, driving down Deerfield Road, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, you know, worship in church ought to be the grand finale of a fireworks display that's been going on in your heart every single day. We want it to be big. We want it to be explosive. Everybody watches the fireworks to get to the end, man. We want this to be the grand finale, but don't let this be the only moment that you come into his presence. Don't let this be the only time that your heart melts before him. Stay pliable, stay waxy, stay soft before our God. I get it. We don't have a a full band in our living room on Wednesday morning in our quiet time. I get that. But understand the difference between a routine of performance and a routine of my heart's personal, perpetual connection to God. Jesus is about to unload some stuff on us in John 4 that will help us to understand the Father's heart for worship. Go, if you would, to John 4. Some of you will know this scripture in this passage. It's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And I'll give you just a moment of backstory. Jesus um, has stopped by this well, and they're in the city, the land of Samaria, which is a place that the Jews hated. The Jews looked at the Samaritans, which was their next-door neighbor, and they saw the Samaritans. They actually called them dogs, which is really terrible. I know we have prejudices and racisms in our country today, but boy, you want to talk about some serious stuff? It was happening in the Bible, man. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The reason they hated them is because they were not what the Jews considered to be pure blood. They were half-breed Jews. They were Jews that had, that had uh, you know, become connected to other surrounding nations, and so their bloodline had been, you know, no longer pure, basically. And so 
the disciples go into the city of Samaria to get some food, and Jesus is sitting by a well, and there at this well, he meets this Samaritan woman. Now, you have to imagine two important things that are going through the context of the culture at that moment. Number one, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Number two, men don't talk to women that aren't their wives. Number three, Jewish men definitely don't talk to Samaritan women that are not their lives. Remember that this was a culture that severely repressed women. And this was a culture that thrived on persecution of other societies around them that they didn't like. Jews were hostile people back then. So here's Jesus sitting with this woman and she, she starts to talk to him, and he walks up to her, or actually, he starts to talk to her. She, he walks up to her, and he says, woman, get me some water to drink out of this well. And she says, she, well, I don't want to go through the whole story. Basically, they have an interchange here. And, and Jesus asks her, uh, who is her husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you've said well that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband now. She answers him, verse 19, which is where I want us to start, one of the most blatantly obvious verses in the Bible. He just told her about her lack of husbands. And she says, she says the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Duh. Duh. She says, our fathers, watch, worshipped on this mountain. This is the mountain that was next to their town of Samaria. She said, this is where our ancestors worshipped here, but you Jews tell us that it's only right to worship God in Jerusalem. Jesus says to her, verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. In other words, you don't have an understanding of the God that you worship. You're reaching out to God, but you don't know really who you're reaching out to. We Jews know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is. Jesus said this twice. The hour is coming. Jesus is declaring to this lady that there is a time that is approaching. How many of you know time is important in the Bible? Certain things happen in certain orders in the scripture for a reason. And he says to her, the time is coming. Verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow. Jesus, double barrel, unloads on this lady. Lady, you, you think worship is a certain paradigm. You think worship is, you know what this Samaritan woman's problem was? It's the same problem we have. 
She thinks worship is the slow songs and praise is the fast songs, right? I mean, it's not the exact same problem, but it's a similar thing. She is associating worship with a certain ritual at a certain geographical location, at a certain geographical or a certain time in a certain fashion. She is associating worship with a singular thing. And she says, see, all of our ancestors used to worship right here at this very spot near this well. But you guys say that we're supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem at the temple and, and giving our alms and sacrificing doves. And so, so what gives, Jesus? What, where's this worship thing supposed to happen? And I love his answer because he doesn't really answer her question. It's great. I lo- don't you love when you ask Jesus a question and he doesn't answer it and he answers the question you should have asked? So you can just ponder that one for a minute. Isn't it great when you ask God a question and he answers the question you should have asked instead? It's like the, y'all remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. God will always, Jesus will always answer the right question which helps you to locate you. Selah. Selah. Think about that for a moment. God always responds to us in a way and in a manner that helps us to locate where we are. Because if you don't know where you're at, it's going to be real hard to find your way to God. So he says, lady, you're stuck on the slow songs and the fast songs thing. You're stuck on the geographical location. He said, there's an hour coming. There's a time coming. When it's not going to be in this mountain or that mountain or this temple or that place. There's a time coming when God himself is going to be leaning over the, the throne of heaven, looking down to find people that will worship him in one way and one way only, and that's in spirit and in truth. We said we want to have an understanding of worship and what it really is. So what is it? Have you ever thought, what is worship? What is it? The dictionary defines worship as reverence and adoration. It goes on to say that reverence is deep respect. We don't have a concept of reverence anymore. Can I soapbox for a second? Y'all let me get ornery for a second. We don't know what reverence is in our culture anymore. We have been taught that it's okay to show irreverent behavior for anybody we feel like showing irreverent behavior to. Kids do it to parents. Parents do it to employers, to each other. Husbands and wives don't reverence the the covenant that they have with each other. We do it to political leaders we don't like or disagree with. We We do it to anything. You see a commercial on television you don't like, and you just feel free to slander it. We were talking last night. I'm going to tell on us, bro. It's okay. Josh and I were talking last night about how sometimes we get in the car and we use certain phrases like, what an idiot. When, when a person takes forever and comes to a complete stop to make a right-hand turn and six cars jam up behind him, we get, what is this idiot doing? What are we doing when we do that? We're not being reverent. 
That's some other human being made in the image of God. Our society's lost a certain measure of reverence. He don't mind that he tells, it's both of us. We, we're both to blame. But we've lost reverence in our culture, and, and that's a big problem when it comes to worship because one of the foundations of worship is reverence and adoration. Dictionary goes on to say that reverence is deep respect. It comes from the Latin word, which means to stand in awe of something. Wow. When's the last time that in your worship you just stood in awe of God? When's the last time your worship was so good that it was speechless? When's the last time your, 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 your face-to-face moment was got, with God was so powerful that you didn't have words for it? Yeah. I'm reminded of John chapter 1, verse 14, which is where the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I remember hearing one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Fount Schultz, talk about that scripture. And he said the Greek word there for behold means to hold with your gaze. He said it means to behold and be held by. Have you ever been captivated by something? You ever been driving down one of our beautiful country roads and see a view that was so perfect that you had to stop and look at it? And you were looking at it, but somehow it was holding on to you? That is the basis for worship. You see, there's sometimes when you get alone with God and it gets so strong and so intense that there are no words. You just have to sit and stare at his beauty. You just have to sit in awe and in reverence and in wonder of who he is. Worship in the Bible is the Greek word proskuneos. It means to lean in or approach with a kiss. Pros is the word which means towards, and kuneos uh, is the word which means to kiss. Actually, if you trace it back to its roots, it's a word which describes a dog licking its master's fingers to get the scraps off of it. The, the biblical expression of worship means to lean in or to approach with a kiss. The picture is of someone bending a knee to kiss the hand of someone important. I, y'all know me, I'm from New York, and I'm of Italian descent. I grew up watching The Godfather. I don't know if y'all have ever seen The Godfather. It is the single greatest movie of all time. But towards the end of the movie, uh, Clemenza and Tessio and, uh, and some of these other guys, Al Neri and some of these characters, come into Al Pacino's office, and he's now The Godfather, Okay, Don Corleone has died, and he's the new Don Corleone. He's the new boss. And, and as the movie closes, the door is slowly closing, and you see Clemenza bend over and kiss the hand of Michael. And then Tessio comes and kisses the hand of Michael, and they're showing their reverent respect for this authority in their life. It's an expression of allegiance. It's an expression of reverence. These are the things that your worship is. 
It's an expression of reverence. It's an expression of submission. It's an expression of intimacy. It's an expression of what I value. I bow my knee because he's worthy. I kiss his hand because I love him. It's what you do when you get close to a king. You get down. It's what you do when you get close to majesty. When you, appro- you don't approach royalty like this. I'm not the boss in that room. Hello. When at the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, we come boldly before the throne of grace. I, I come boldly, but I understand that in my boldness of coming, I'm not the one in charge in that room. So I hit my knees. I kiss his hand. Jesus, I love you, and I'm submitting my heart to you. It's one of the reasons God speaks when you worship is because it's one of the only times in your life that you're reverent enough to listen to what he says. There's reverence in worship. There's wonder in worship. There's grandeur in worship. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If worship ever loses its wonder, it's not worship anymore. Yes, worship is about my intimacy with God. That's the goal. God's goal with you worshiping him is so that you can be intimate with him, so that you can be close to him. So yes, worship is about intimacy, but the intimacy starts with the wonder. If you lose the wonder, you'll never get to the intimacy. If my worship is about my performance, then it's about the bigness of me. But if my worship is real, then it's about the bigness of Jesus. Real worship is about leaning in to kiss the only one who's worthy of my bended knee. Let me say that again. Real worship is about leaning in to kiss the hand of the only one who's worthy of my bended knee. Now there's two things I want to leave you with this morning. Two thoughts, two statements. I'm going to do this somewhat briefly. Number one, worship is supernatural. You see, we're, we're, we're talking today about the spirit side. Jesus said that, we're, that those who come to God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we're talking about the spirit side today. Next week, we're going to talk about the truth side of the worship equation. All right? Number one, worship is supernatural, meaning it goes beyond the natural One of the things that we're guilty of doing as those of us who lead worship, who play instruments and sing and do all that kind of stuff, is one of the things that we find a tendency of having to guard ourselves against is, again, about making it performance, but about making it something that's natural. Because I know the right chords to play to make you emotional. All you gotta do is play the four chord, man. If I play the four... Or if I play the flat five, you'll cry. Because music, it moves the emotions of people. I know how to create an atmosphere. All you got to do is have enough pads underneath that piano and just just fill the room and people will cry. 
It's like parents. You know how to make your kids cry, right? You know just what to say to trigger their emotion. See, sometimes we, as, as musicians and stuff, we, we get caught up in making it a natural thing because there's a natural side to worship. But at its core, worship is supernatural. Jesus says here in John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is something that goes far beyond what's natural. And he proves that point when he says, you worship what you do not know. Excuse me, verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship. What, what is he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter where you worship. He said the hour is coming when it's not going to matter where you are, whether or not you worship. How many of you know we live in the hour he was talking about? We live in the hour that he, we, we are in the fulfillment of the time that he was prophesying. It doesn't matter where you worship. You can worship in the bank teller line. You can worship while waiting to pick up your dry cleaning. You can worship in any scenario, in any space, at any time. You can and should be worshiping in your kitchen. You can and should be worshiping in your living room, on the back deck, in the basement, wherever you like to be. In the backyard, glory to God. Because Jesus, Jesus came and died for us so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out so that it literally didn't matter. We could have church at any time, at any place, at any moment. So our worship needs to reflect that. It's supernatural. Number two, worship requires our attention and our sincerity. Worship requires our attention and our sincerity. If he doesn't have my attention, he doesn't have much of my heart. That's right. Amen. If he doesn't have my attention, he doesn't have much of my heart. Let me demonstrate this for you. Come here, babe. Brian. Brian's commenting on the uh, online thread. Praise God. We love you, people of the internet. Let me demonstrate what it looks like to worship without attention and without sincerity. I'm going to give my wife a hug. Give me a hug. This is, this is her having my adoration. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is us loving each other. This is what worship looks like when it's without my adoration. Oh, I love you so much, honey. You can't see what I'm doing. I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking at my phone. I'm checking Facebook. I love you. you you're so wonderful. Yeah, sweetie. See, she could be talking to me. I'm not listening. She could be whispering things in my ear. She could be giving me direction. She could be telling me, because look, she sees my backside. She knows what's about to get me, and I can't see it at all. She could be giving me insight about what's sneaking up on me. Hey, the devil's right behind you about to take you out. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, what was that? I wasn't listening. Right. How many of you know 
when worship doesn't have my attention and my sincerity, this hug is useless right now. Totally useless. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't have much of my focus, he just doesn't have much of my heart. And we can go on forever singing the right song, playing the right chords, doing the right motions, going through all the right stuff. But if the sincerity, if the attention, if the yieldedness, if the focus is not there, it's a hug with checking the phone. That's all it is. And here's the thing. If you're not going to give him everything, don't bother. Right. (laughs) Yeah. If we're not going to give him everything. Now, listen, I understand. I understand you come to church and you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. I get that. I can't tell you how many times I've stood up to preach and just didn't want to be here. Okay. You'll never know it, by the way. But in reality, I mean, I understand that people come in with cares, and sometimes it takes us a moment to unload the care. I get that. But there's got to come a place in our lives where we actually give him all of our sincerity, where we put the phone down, we put the distraction down, we put whatever is hindering us down so that he has 100% of my focus. See, in this moment, she has my embrace when I, hold on, let me get my phone. In this moment, she has my embrace, but she doesn't have my heart. And we cannot afford to do God that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen? Yeah. Thank you, sweetie. We cannot afford to do the Lord that way. This worship thing, this spirit and truth thing, it's supernatural. It can happen any place at any time. All that's required is God's presence and your heart. And if it doesn't have our sincerity, then we fall very short of it. I don't say that to condemn you this morning. I'm not in the business of condemnation. Amen? I'm not. You know why I'm not? Because God's not. God's not in the business of condemning you. The Bible says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are called according to God and love, or to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not, sorry, I quoted the scripture wrong. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's nothing that can condemn you. I, I stood up here and told you that for years I led worship to impress the ladies. Right? And I mean, you know, God was merciful every now and again. You know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, right? So you're like, even every now and again I stumbled into the presence of the Lord. And God will work with you wherever you're at. God will work with you no matter what your starting point is. Maybe you're like me, and as you hear this word, as I've been digesting this, I've been in repentance mode. I have, man. As I've been digging into this word on worship, I'm going, Lord, it is just not about me. And Lord, forgive me for every time I ever made it even a little bit about me. Amen. It's about him. It's about his presence. We're going to talk about his presence next week, some. You see, there's, there's a reason why my heart gets so demonstrative in the presence of God. I know that not everybody is like me in terms of my personality. I'm boisterous and loud and sweaty, and when I worship, it's loud. It's a joyful noise. 
And I get that you might not be like that. I, I get that when I say, when we're in here and we say, come on, let's everybody raise our hands. I get that some of you go like this. As a Christian comedian talked about the different poses, the different hand raised poses. My favorite was hold the baby. When people, <laughs> so this worship pose, right? Oh, Jesus, we love you. Hold the baby pose. Hold the baby pose. You got the referee. Hallelujah. You got the, my mother's generation, the one-hander. I don't know, sort of an 80s thing, I guess. Listen, it's not, a, it's, it's not about the accessories that go with worship. But there is something I want to say. There is, there is truth behind why we sing. There is truth behind why we raise our hands. There's sometimes when I've been in worship, y'all, all I wanted to do was lay on my face before the Lord. All I wanted to do was get on my knees and cry out to him. There's been times where I pray and I can't pray standing up, not because I can't physically, but because I just can't because it's God, because it's reverent, because, he, because there's a grandeur in it that I can't let go of or pull myself away from. So when we, when we encourage you and when, we, you know, when, we, when we're up here singing and we're directing and we're trying to help you all come into the presence of the Lord with us and we say, hey, let's lift our hands. Y'all, can I, can I tell you something? Just do it. Just do it. I know it might, it might stretch you and it might make you uncomfortable, but remember, discomfort is where the growth happens. And, and it may be that, that God is telling you to express yourself in worship because, he's, because that's the thing, that's the linchpin, that's the, the tipping point, that's the moment that he's been waiting for to try to get something across to you. I close with this story. Y'all doing okay? We were in a, one of those wild charismatic meetings one time. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. It was one of those running, shouting kind of meetings. And uh, gosh, I probably was in 10th or 11th grade maybe. And uh, there was some dear friends of ours, Mark and Debbie Arnott. They're such wonderful people. They live out in California. And Mark just had a Holy Spirit fit. He just took off running jumped over a chair, fell, hit his head, started bleeding. And everybody's like, oh no, what happened to Mark? This is the wild part of this story. He laid there for a while, didn't want anybody, he was fine. Laid there for a while, got up, and everybody's like, Mark, are you okay? You, you kind of hit your head there, man, when you fell. He said, I'm great. And I remember talking to him afterward. And I said, man, you, you're okay, right? Like, you're good. And he's like, oh, I'm great. I said, what happened? Like, you fell. And he said, man, he said, the Holy Spirit had been dealing with me during that service about dancing before him. You know, the Bible says of David that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. It goes a little beyond this, guys. 
Not trying to make you uncomfortable, but, I, but, but maybe there's a miracle in your dance that you haven't found out about yet. David danced before the Lord with all his might to the degree that he looked stupid to his family. And his wife actually chastised him for it and said, you're the king. The Bible says he took off his kingly robes and got in his linen ephod, which is another way to say underwear. He took off everything that was restraining to him about his kingly outfit and got before the presence of the Lord and danced with all of his might. And his wife gave him a hard time about it. And guess what happened to her? She never had kids. The Lord judged her in that moment. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do that to you because we're in the new covenant. But it was something serious to David. So I asked Mark, I said, bro, what's, what happened? You fell. He hit his head on like a pole, like one of these kind of pillars that we have here. And he said, the Lord had been dealing with my heart about dancing before him, and I was holding back. I didn't want to. And finally, I just said, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he just took off running and danced before the Lord and spun around, hit a pole, and fell down. (sighs) And he said, I said, are you okay? Are you hurt? He said, I barely feel whatever's going on with my head. He said, the more important thing is I got off the ground healed. I said, what do you mean? So 15 years ago, I fell off a ladder and shattered my tailbone, and I haven't had proper function in my spine and my skeletal system since that day. And when I danced before the Lord, the power of God hit me, and I got upheeled. You want to spend 15 years in pain, or you want to dance before the Lord and look silly for a second? Because the Lord is looking for your heart. If I'm worshiping him while I'm checking the news, he doesn't have my attention and he doesn't have my heart. And it's not for his benefit. We don't worship him because he needs the props. We worship him because he's got something we need. He's got something he's trying to get across to us. And he invites us into a moment of discomfort just long enough to get that thing across to us. So it shouldn't sound weird when we want to clap or raise our hands or sing or dance even or shout unto God. The Bible says shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Do you think that the children of Israel would have done any damage to Jericho if they marched around the wall seven times on that seventh day and then they lifted up the trumpets and said, everybody shout, and they said, oh yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. No, they had to get undignified. They had to shout! Scared everybody on this side of the front row. God was asking them to do something out of character so that something beautiful could take place. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but it's okay. God wants your heart, guys. He wants your worship. Not for his benefit, but for intimacy with you. Come before and come boldly before the throne. And then when you get there, hit your knees. Kiss his hand. Jesus, I'm here because you're greater than all. We sang about it this morning. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the universe and over every heart. There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all. If you need something to worship him about, worship him because there's no higher name than the name of Jesus.
Let's do that. Can we do that as we close? Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.